Hi everyone, this is Daniel Cho and I'm the Managing Director of Pathways to Wholeness Lifestyle Medicine Center. Thank you so much for tuning in today for this episode of the Lifestyle is Medicine podcast. I'm here with Dr. George Cho, our Medical Director, and we're here at our North York Lifestyle Medicine Clinic in Toronto, Canada. Hello everyone, it's good to be with you all again. So Dr. Cho, just today you got back from doing something really interesting. Uh, sharing about lifestyle medicine on a First Nations Reserve in Northern Canada. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Yeah, we just uh, I just got back from a First Nation Reserve up in uh, Northern Ontario, and uh, we did uh, we definitely did lifestyle medicine. It was a week long diabetes program for our listeners. Um, the diabetes rates among First Nations peoples is very high. Uh, on this particular reserve, it was about 33% of the people on the reserve have diabetes. Wow. And we ran a, a week-long program, which involved lectures on reversing diabetes, plant-based eating on exercise guidelines for people with diabetes. We did hands-on cooking classes on plant-based eating. Uh, we even did things like taking them to the to the grocery store helping them to read labels, helping them to choose healthier, cheaper options. Uh, we did exercise classes with them, introduced them to online exercise videos like Fitness Blender. And it was a tremendous program. And also we uh, we did a walk-in clinic in the afternoons as well, a naturopathic walk-in clinic, which was also a blessing. Uh, but it, they responded very well. Uh, and actually we saw some results. Some people were losing weight already within the first few days of the program so it was very well received uh it was a very it was a it was a tremendous blessing but at the same time uh you really have a burden for these populations up here who are underserviced and who don't have access to the type of health education that we so much so many of us take for granted yeah 33 percent. that's that's huge yeah roughly speaking it was about 33 percent and you know, it's it's it was amazing when we we're up there. You know, uh, in the cities, you know, you might see some over obese people here and there, um, some many overweight people. But over over on these reserves, you were hard pressed to find a skinny person. Mm. Everyone was pretty much obese. Um, everyone that came to the walking clinic were at least class one, many of them class two obesity. Mm. It was very sad. We felt we saw some kids with diabetes um this and mm. this wasn't type one they said it was type two and we had some people who were like 29 years old and they had diabetes type mm. two mm. very very sad and uh we definitely need to bring lifestyle medicine to all groups of people not just the wealthy and the educated but all all types of people right it just underscores how important lifestyle medicine is and how much we really need to tackle this issue of chronic disease um, all, all across this country and yeah. around the world. Yeah, and like a lot of them, they haven't heard some of the basics of things that we take for granted, like the mm. importance of fiber, mm. you know, just some basic things like that um, they never heard before. So, and and they never heard about the idea of re- being able to reverse diabetes. Mm. So you got a population of 33% of them uh, have diabetes and they're they're not told that they can somehow reverse it, at least that there's a possibility of reversing. So we share with them the facts and, and a lot of hope as well. Yeah, that's amazing. And 
that's one of our commitments here at Pathways to Wholeness Lifestyle Medicine Center and that's right. the clinic. We really want to bring lifestyle medicine to everybody. Um, that's, that's right. To make it accessible as possible. So that's a really amazing work that uh, you did. And um, talking about basics, we are going to talk, uh, continue our discussion uh, in this episode on the six focus areas of lifestyle medicine. And for our listeners, you might recall that in our previous episode, we covered three of the six focus areas. And those were healthful eating of whole plant-based foods, um, physical activity, and stress management. And in this episode, we'll look at the three other areas, which are sleep, uh, reducing risky substance use, and social support. So let's get right into it. Let's start with sleep. I'm sure we all love to sleep. So why is sleep so important for our health? Yeah, sleep is really important, uh, especially for our society, which is so committed to work. To sleep is kind of seen as like a lazy behavior. But now we know that it's very important. When we're sleeping, our body is repairing itself. Uh, lack of sleep, on the other hand, can suppress the immune system. We know now that when we sleep, our brain it's consolidating memory, things like that. When we lack sleep, we also have problems with emotional health. We are, we're more moody. We can be more depressed and morose. So there's a lot of good reasons to make sure that we get a lot of sleep, or at least sufficient sleep. And I think uh, even in the area of obesity, there's new cutting-edge research that's coming out yes. about the link yeah. between sleep and uh, excess weight. And it seems that... Um, the pathways to uh, affecting our appetite that's that's correct we we need to come to a place now where we don't see sleep as as a bad behavior as a anti-productive behavior it is definitely a very healthful and necessary thing to do to get enough sleep so how much sleep is enough sleep like how much are we talking how many hours are we talking about yeah you know uh, most people if you ask them they'll say something like eight hours but that's actually not true uh, it seems that the the amount of sleep that we need actually varies depending on the individual. Um, there's some people uh, where four hours is actually enough for them. And some, some people naturally need more than that. We know that young children especially and teenagers, they need uh, a lot more sleep. Like some, I think the estimate is around nine hours of sleep. But I think uh, the if you look at some of the studies, you know, six to nine hours is kind of a rough ballpark. Mm. And, you know, there's some ways to kind of tell whether you got enough sleep. One thing is when you wake up in the morning, you should feel refreshed, right? Uh, if you're not, then you probably didn't get enough sleep. And, you know, for men, uh, this is a very interesting one. For men, uh, when when we've rested adequately, actually our body releases testosterone and we may actually get kind of a morning erection, which might be actually be a good sign that you actually got enough sleep. So that's actually very something uh, very interesting to put in there as well. But I think a good um, good measuring stick is kind of like when you wake up in the morning, are you refreshed? Uh, that is kind of the indicator for whether we've gotten enough sleep or not. I've heard that many people really struggle with sleep. We just kind of see it, I guess, even just talking to family and friends. Uh, and probably most of us, our sleeping habits could use a little bit of improvement. So what are some practical tips for us to improve our sleep quality? Yes, um, you know, even in the, the diabetes clinic that we talked about, we had patients that came into the walk-in clinic and they would go to bed and then they would roll around in bed for like three hours before they fell asleep, you know. And so we would, we did actually, we spent a lot of time educating them on the basics of sleep hygiene. 
And you know, there's there are, um there are several little tips that you can do to help people help you fall asleep easier and get better sleep. One of the most important things is to fall asleep early, go to bed early. So between nine to twelve o'clock. When we do that, the quality of sleep is actually better than if we sleep later than that. Even if you've gotten the same number of hours of sleep, it seems like the hours between nine or eight and nine and before twelve o'clock, those seem to be um better quality hours for sleep. So I would encourage first of all to to uh, tell people to get to bed early. Uh, and there's also other tips that we can do to ensure that we can fall asleep earlier and uh that we can get better sleep. And one of those things is to limit the use of electronics before bed. A uh, blue light, blue light, it really it affects us and keeps us awake, right? So one good tip is to Stay away from electronics before we go to bed. In fact, maybe keep the electronics out of the room, and just use the bed, use the room just to sleep. Uh, the, the the room should be dark, and the temperature is better if it's generally a little bit cool. Another important tip is to reserve the room for sleep and just and and sex instead of doing all sorts of different things in the bedroom. In this way, your mind starts to associate your room and your bed with sleeping, and having that association will help. You fall asleep. For those who are finding it very difficult to fall asleep and are kind of rolling around in bed, one good tip is to actually, instead of rolling around in bed for like an hour or so, try to fall asleep. Is actually to just get up after fifteen to twenty minutes of not being able to fall asleep. And what you do is you get up and you leave the room and you do something relaxing. Now this is obviously not going on on a on an electronic device, mm. right? This is like reading, which is something very relaxing. And then you notice that you start dozing off again. Once that happens, you get up and you go back into your room and try to fall asleep, and you repeat that until you fall asleep. The reason why that's important is because if we are lying in bed, awake for hours on end, then your and your associate your brain will start associating your bed with, with a waking up. So we want we don't want to make that association. So we get get out of the room and come back only when we're, when we feel like we're ready to sleep. In this way, your brain will associate the room and the bed with sleeping. So, if we practice some of those things, and uh, it's 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 likely that we will start going to, getting to bed earlier, falling asleep earlier, and experience better sleep. That kind of so it's sort of like engineering our environment, our home environment, to uh, associate to get our mind to associate the bed with sleep. So it makes That's you think right. about how. Many people they'll have a separate room which they call their office or their library or study. Right. So that's where they keep their computer, um, things like that, and that's where they do their work and study. Yeah, it's like a mindset thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. So let's move on to uh, the second focus area, which is broadly speaking, risky substance use. Um, now I know the uh, in the American College of Lifestyle Medicine uh, specifically focuses on tobacco cessation. And I think uh, most of us by now we know that smoking, uh, tobacco smoking, is not good for us. But uh, it wasn't always like that, was it? Yes, that's correct. Um, there was there was a time where doctors even prescribed it for medical conditions, and uh, people didn't really think too much about it as a bad behavior or as an unhealthy behavior. But now we we do know, like you said, that uh, that it is not a it's not a health promoting behavior. In fact. It's a、uh, very detrimental to our health. So yeah, I know that as we mentioned, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and the Lifestyle Medicine、uh, generally focuses on tobacco. But let's briefly touch on another substance 
that's very commonly consumed and still uh, is very socially acceptable. And of course, I'm talking about alcohol. And so what should our listeners know about alcohol? Well, what our listeners should know about alcohol is that alcohol is not a wholesome drink. And what I mean by that is, um, is that though alcohol might be helpful in certain areas of your health, it is detrimental in many other areas as well. Right? So for instance, alcohol is, is generally known to be good for heart health. And I put that in quotation, heart health. Um, however, we do know, on the other hand, that it is detrimental in so many other areas of health. It is detrimental to your brain, is detrimental to your liver. And on top of that, it increases the risk of cancer and things like that. So when we look at alcohol as a comprehensive substance, or, or comprehensively, uh, we, we can't, I can't see how we can view alcohol as a healthful part of our diet. In, the, in a recent Lancet article in 2018, this year, um, there was actually an article that came out and that challenged the current guidelines regarding alcohol use. So currently right now, it's about 196 grams of alcohol per week for men, which is about like two days, two drinks per day or so. For women, it's about one drink per day. But this article in The Lancet showed that even lower amounts than those recommended guidelines was associated with higher risk of all-cause death, 14% increased risk of stroke, 6% increased risk of coronary artery disease, 9% increased risk of heart failure, 24% increased risk of fatal hypertensive disease, increased risk of aneurysms. And this is for, this was for 0 to 100 grams per week, which is less than the recommended amount for, for men in particular, and close to less than for the recommended for women. They did uh, notice a lower risk for heart attack. But think about it. If there was a substance that increased the risk of all these things I just mentioned, but it was it was slightly it slightly improved the uh, or slightly lowered the risk of maybe some other disease, would we really say that that's a healthful food? Obviously not, or like a healthful substance to take. Obviously not. Yet for some reason we give alcohol a pass, which is something that I I'm still I still have a hard time understanding. It's very interesting to read some of the uh, statements in the article itself by the authors. For instance, in one part they say, and I'm quoting now, this data supports adoption of lower limits of alcohol consumption than are recommended in most current guidelines. So what they're basically saying here is that based on their study, on that particular study, they recommend lower amounts of alcohol than what's already recommended. But then they go on and say, they say, there were no clear risk thresholds below which alcoholic consumption stopped being associated with lower disease risk. As in, what that means is basically what they're saying is they could not ascertain a clear, safe amount of alcohol, which is absolutely something that we should pay attention to, that these researchers, they found, they were looking for a safe amount and pretty much they could not conclude what, would, what that safe amount would be. And... In another part of the article, they say, quoting, we are unaware of any guidelines that encourage non-drinkers to, con to consume 
alcohol. End quote. Now that's a very interesting line because you know, then we we encourage people to eat more greens, right?、Mm. Eat more beans, eat more fruit, drink more water, etc. But these authors and they're correct. There are no guidelines that, that guidelines that tell people who are not drinking alcohol to start drinking alcohol or to drink more alcohol. There are no guidelines. Why? Because it's not a safe drink to drink. So, you know, if we if we aren't drinking, definitely don't start drinking. You know, and if we if we are drinking, then we、uh, really I think we really have to seriously reconsider、um, taking alcohol or. At least change our change our view that somehow it's a it's a healthy drink, whether it's red wine or not, right? I think it's better to just stay away from alcohol completely, and not to even mention some of the moral、uh, effects of alcohol. And we we know this. We don't need to um to belabor the point, but、uh, alcohol related、uh, violence in the home in the family,、mm. the motor vehicle accidents, just some of the. Stupid, foolish things that people do under the influence of alcohol.、Mm. I mean, do do does that happen with water? Does that <laughs> happen with Gatorade or any of these other?、Uh, even with pop, you know, the moral the moral consequences of drinking alcohol are just tremendous. And、right. uh, I I just when we look at it comprehensively, as I said in the beginning, I just can't see how we can really recommend alcohol as a healthful part of. Of um of our of our intake of our diets. Yeah, you know my background is in public health, and we have a saying about alcohol, which says that it's not an ordinary drink, and I think that's so true. You know, it's uh it 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 is addictive, and yeah, maybe some people can drink it and maybe control, but a lot of people can't. And like you mentioned, there's so many moral consequences to our society because of alcohol and. Yeah, I think it'd be much better if we stayed away from it. Stick to water. Yeah, and you know, like people always say about the heart, you know, it's good for your heart. But you know, then like and like all of us, all the listeners, we all know that there are many ways to protect your heart. Right. A whole foods, plant based diet, eating more vegetables and fruits, limiting high saturated fo-、uh, foods, exercising. There are so many other positive, more wholesome ways to. Protect our health, it, without the need for alcohol. They somehow when you're in the, when you're in these conversations, they inject alcohol into the conversation as if it's some type of necessary thing,、mm. and that's really that's overblowing,、uh, that's exaggerating the health effects of alcohol.、Mm. You know, I I think it's just better. It's more safer to stay clear of of alcohol. Well, we'll definitely be exploring more about alcohol in the future episodes.、Uh, so, but for now, let's move on to our final. Focus area, which is a really important and quite fascinating one, which I think many people might not think about when they think about、uh, physical health, which is strong social relationships. So, how do social relationships influence our health? Well, we mentioned in the previous podcast, I believe, how mental aspects of our health affects our physical aspects, and that's no different for social relationships. Our emotional health is going to affect our physical health.、Uh, when we're stressed,、uh, there's physical effects. It activates the HPA axis, release of cortisol, stress hormones,、uh, things like that. So, if our family relationships aren't aren't strong, if there's a lot of stress in the home, whether between spouses or parent with child, that can cause off a physical that can 
um, that could lead to a physical response in our body, a stress response, which then has downstream negative effects on our body. At the beginning of this podcast, we talk about the First Nations Reserve that I just come back from, and it's very clear when you look at these uh, the 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 issues in the social issues in the on these reserves have an impact on people's physical health. There was one lady who who had lost her daughter to suicide, and for the past year she's been depressed, she's been stressed. Very, uh, the mood is very low, and as a consequence, she had very low energy uh, and a lot of other symptoms. So, we cannot overlook how important social relationships are to our health. On this podcast, we've talked about blue zones, um, areas with very high numbers of centenarians, and one cross-cutting feature among these uh, blue zones. Uh, is a very strong social ties among them. Yes, uh, that's that's absolutely correct. We had talked about the blue zones, and if you look at these centenarians, uh, a lot of these uh, groups have very strong social connections. So, for instance, in Okinawa, we had talked about the Moais. These these groups these uh, groups that are formed these social connections that form at a very young age, and they stay together for their whole life. They're a little support group. They're they're best friends for life. They share their burdens with each other and they support each other. In Sardinia, elders are respected. Um, unlike in North America, where your social capital goes down, in Sardinia, your social capital actually goes up as you get as you age. And the elders, instead of being relegated to nursing homes and uh, whatever, they actually stay close to the family. Which helps them, and which also helps the family as well.、Mm. And we also talked about San Jose Avenues、uh, in Loma Linda, California. And one of the things that Dan Butner,、uh, the National Geographic researcher who looked into these centenarians, what he found was with the San Jose Avenues was their strong social connections at church, being part of a church family, spending a whole day at the Sabbath with family and with friends. That strong social bond. Had an influence on their health, so yes, the、uh, blue zones—the people that live the longest on this planet—not、uh, only do they eat healthy,、uh, move healthy, but they also seem to have healthy social connections as well. And I think, in terms of adopting、uh, healthy lifestyle patterns, having the strong social support is also really important, isn't it? Like, for instance, you know, when you want to start exercising. It's always good to have a spouse, family right, right. to kind of be there to have fun together to support you. If you want want to say transition to whole foods, plant based eating pattern, it's always better when you have friends who are going to be there to encourage you to go on the journey with you, spouses, children. So even in terms of look at it from that perspective, these、uh, social relationships are important for health as well. Yeah, actually, I'm glad that you brought that up. There's、uh, research coming out where they compare. You know, people try to adopt healthier lifestyles、uh, through just individually, and then they compare them to people who are doing it as part of a social, as a part of a support group. And it seems like those who are part of a support group actually do better,、mm. right? Even though they're getting kind of like the same prescription or the same, um, same um, advice. So, but being part of that social support group seems to be helpful. So yes, I totally agree. 
uh, we need each other for health to support one another. So really quickly, what can we do to strengthen our social relationships? Well, I think simply just invest in them, get away from social media relationships, uh, and actually spend more time in person. If you look at the Moais of Okinawa, you know, they meet every day together, drink tea face to face and talk, right? The grandparents uh, in Sardinia, they're not FaceTiming their grandkids, right? They're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're spend time in contact, like physical contact, mm. right, with their grandkids. Instead of the Adventists, you know, church isn't just on the internet. They actually go to a physical building. Right. They're interacting with people doing Bible studies and whatever, eating together, going on nature walks, things like that. So I think one of the most important things is to really invest in social relationships. And I think probably the best way to do that is actually in person, not through all these, uh, these electronic means. Awesome. So there you have it. Those are the six focus areas of lifestyle medicine. Again, they're healthful eating of whole plant-based foods, regular physical activity, reducing stress and risky substance use, adequate sleep, and fostering strong social bonds. And what's really amazing is that science continues to unveil how making changes in these areas can profoundly influence our health and also reduce our risk and even help treat and even sometimes reverse many of the leading chronic diseases of today. So in later episodes, we'll be diving more in-depth in each of these areas. So we hope that you can tune in for those. Please do share your thoughts with us on today's episode. You can, of course, subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. We also upload our episodes on Facebook and on our YouTube channel. Please also do leave us a review. We would love to hear your comments and thoughts and also your ideas for future episodes. And please share this podcast with family or friends who you think could benefit from lifestyle medicine. So on behalf of Dr. Cho and myself, thank you so much for tuning in. You've been listening to the Lifestyles Medicine Podcast. Hope to see you next time.